Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Today we continue on in our series on the seven deadly sins with the sin of gluttony. We often think of gluttony in regards to eating food, which is really the only way I've ever thought of it myself. But dang, Ben really blows this idea up for me. I've never thought of gluttony in any other way until today. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, consumption is something that applies to more than just food. And likewise, gluttony applies to consumption in general is what I take away. Um, Yeah, so with that... Let's get you to the sermon so you maybe you can experience what I experienced from this uh, sermon. So enjoy. kind of started out this whole sermon series asking this question. They're called the seven deadly sins, but what makes them so deadly? Why would something like gluttony be called a deadly sin? We're going to look at some of the reasons maybe why it would be considered that. Um, But today I just want to remind you that question we asked at the beginning of of service. What's our motivation behind what we consume and why? Why? Um, and and how, do we give that as deep a thought as maybe we should, especially those of us who represent Christ in the world? What's our motivation behind what we consume and why? Well, in my research for my sermon this Sunday, I came across anyone uh, familiar with St. Gregory the Great? All of you. Wow. Just no. <laughs> he was the, uh, the first bishop of Rome in the year 500 AD. So I'm so surprised that none of you really know. Uh, but he has a list of the uh, possible ways to commit the sin of gluttony. And as I was reading this, I didn't win at all. So I, I, I'm going to bring and read the list to you and see how you guys fare, okay? Maybe you'll fare better as he reads off these things. Um, his, his, uh, this is St. Gregory describing the following ways by which one can commit the sin of gluttony. Number one, eating before the time of meals in order to satisfy the palate. I already failed. And that was the first one out the gate, already failed. Number two, Seeking delicacies and better quality of food to gratify the vile sense of taste. Oh man, it's getting worse. Three, seeking to stimulate the palate with overly, uh, with overly or elaborately prepared foods like luxurious sauces and seasonings. I like barbecue sauce with my chicken nuggets. Anyone else? Oh man. Okay. We've got two more to go still. Number four, exceeding the necessary quantity of food. I'm not going to even touch that one. Number five, and this one has really got me, taking food with too much eagerness, even when eating the proper amount, and even if the food is not luxurious. Dang. I would have loved, it, like if cell phones were back then, I would love to see just a day in the life of St. Gregory to see how much he followed the, this list, right? 
This is an appropriate time to uh, let you know of our next church potluck. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I couldn't help but feel like the worst of sinners when I read that list, uh, seeing how I did not live up to really any of those, especially um, in, in, my, in my life. Now, now St. Gregory had biblical justification for why he wrote each one of these things. And I'm not here to argue with a saint about something. But this list felt like it was missing the mark. The list by itself, it just felt like it was missing the mark and felt like it needed to go a bit deeper as, as to why he arrived at these conclusions. And if the list made you feel bad, just remember about what they said about Jesus. In Matthew 11, verse 19, it says, uh, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at this glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by her actions. So if someone calls you a glutton, you're in good company, right? They call Jesus one as well. As we move forward, though, I really want to highlight what Jesus is saying here in this verse. Shane, would you bring that up one more time? He's essentially saying that against the religious legalism, you really can't win, right? John the Baptist literally came fasting, only eating bugs and honey when he needed to. And they said, he has a demon. He's fasting. He was righteous in accordance with the law, but he has a demon. Jesus came eating and drinking, changing, and just to let you know, when he changed water into wine, it wasn't just one wine glass. It was literally eight barrels of water for an entire banquet, wedding banquet, right? So Jesus is not only eating and drinking, he's helping to facilitate that in some really major ways, right? He came there and he, he goes to big banquets thrown by tax collectors like the wee little man, Zacchaeus, and they call him a glutton and a drunkard. So you can't win when it comes to religious legalism. In regards to religious legalism, there are no winners except for those who have appointed themselves the winners, right? Yet I love how Jesus ends with what he says here. Wisdom is vindicated by her actions. Anyone have a friend named Sophia? One? Okay. So Sophia, that's the Greek word for wisdom. Um, Philosophia, philosophy, is the love of wisdom. And wisdom all throughout the Bible is uh, shown as a woman crying out in the streets, calling out for justice. And so the, my wife will tell me that's why women are the wisest among us, right? Um, that was supposed to be a lot funnier than it was. Um, but really, wisdom is shown by the action. So th that's really what, where I want to focus on today's sermon is what, do our, what kind of wisdom or logic do our actions show? Do our actions show the wisdom of Christ? And even in the face of religious legalism or, or other sort of lists of do's and don'ts, what, do, what are our actions, our habits saying about who we are, about our motivation, especially when it comes to what we consume? When I read this, a little light bulb went off uh, for me for the sin of what the sin of gluttony is all about. 
The sin of gluttony isn't about lists of do's and don'ts. It really is about our motivation behind what we consume and why. And when, when we understand this, that it's more about motivation rather than a list of do's and don'ts, Scripture starts to make a lot more sense as you read the stories in the Bible. When we take Esau, for example, when we read Esau trading his entire birthright for what? a bowl of stew. He traded his entire birthright as the firstborn of Israel for a bowl of stew and squandered his birthright. His motivation was all wrong. He squandered what was so priceless to consume something immediate in that moment. And we read about how Israel, and this is one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament, they are literally just escaped Egypt after 400 years with Moses. And we read about how God was literally providing manna from heaven and doves aplenty. How many of you have actually had unleavened manna before? It, it tastes like you're chewing into an Amazon box, okay? It's, it's, it's not a tasty, delicious thing. It's just to fill your stomachs, right? Um, that's why it's a part of communion today. It's because it's, this, it's the food of the liberated. It's the food of those on the move, right? Is unleavened. Right? You don't have time to put yeast and let that thing rise. It's unleavened. But God was providing this manna in the wilderness and doves aplenty. And how did Israel respond? They groaned and said, this isn't as good, and this is in the Bible, this isn't as good as the cucumbers, melons, leeks, garlic, and steak that we had back in Egypt. Their motivation was all wrong. Unleavened bread from a God that freed you is better than steak from your enslavers. Amen? We read about the sin, how the sin of Sodom was a lack of hospitality. That was the fundamental sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, was a lack of welcoming the stranger and a lack of hospitality. The prophet Ezekiel says about the sin of Sodom that they were always full of bread. So it's not that they were just hoarding their resources, they were always full of their resources as well. The motivation behind it was all wrong. Being hospitable with what you have has greater benefits for you and others than hoarding ever will. Lists of do's and don'ts around gluttony don't really hit the target because it's not just about lists of what to not do or not do when it comes around what we consume. It's the motivation of our hearts with what we have and what we don't have. God wants to transform our motivation for how and why we consume what we do. You see, one of my, I feel like one of the greatest critiques that I have about how we've come to define sin in the modern era as Christians is that it claims to be about making us less self-focused, less selfish, but in giving us lists of do's and don'ts, as we often do, it actually makes us more self-focused. <laughs> it actually makes it more about us. It makes us so preoccupied over if I'm doing the right or wrong thing that we don't stop to think about how our actions and the motivations behind them impact our relationship with God and our neighbor. You see, when we think about it as our motivation, we can't help but think of others and how our actions impact them. When we just think about it as a list of rules of do's and don'ts, 
we actually just become really focused on ourselves. It becomes more about me. When we look at sin from the lens of motivation, we become other-focused, and we begin to put less shame on ourselves. My friends, shame is never a helpful tool for anything. (laughs) When we make it all about those lists of how we can measure up or not, when we look at it through motivation, though, we can put less shame on ourselves and become more motivated to find out how we are impacting the world around us and our relationship with God. Because really, that's the fundamental definition of sin. Whatever disrupts and distorts our relationship with God, our neighbor, and ourselves. Because that's the primary commandment, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If sin, the fundamental definition of sin is anything that disrupts or distorts or destroys that relationship. And we need to be mindful of what those things can be. So what does the sin of gluttony have to do with our world today? And as we're asking, what can make it a deadly sin? Well, if you haven't noticed, we live in an economic superpower that calls you a consumer. Have you ever been called a consumer before? Consumer reports? We, we are, there, there is so much data around how and why you consume the way you do in your age, gender, race bracket. You are dialed in by this consumer-driven market. We are constantly being advertised to on a daily basis with social media. You can be advertised to roughly 5,000 times before you go to sleep. And if you have photogenic memory, you're probably being advertised to in your mind, too, as you dream. But you're trying to be sold to, marketed to, measured by our spending habits, buying trends, and valued by our financial assets. We are measured by what we consume in our culture. And I've been really convicted about our online shopping culture, too. We can click and buy a product within seconds without even knowing who makes them, who ships them, how it's going to get to us, or how it impacts the world around us. That's a lot of power to have. Are those who make my favorite products paid well? Are people being harmed or worse to make and sell and ship this product? And if you notice, I haven't even started talking about food yet. (laughs) Did you know that the United States wastes more food than any other nation in the world besides China? Uh, The fellow resident science, uh, Ricky and Austin are our resident scientists here. Um, When it comes to everything, ecology, plants, animals, they are the experts. So I asked uh, Austin for uh, an article relevant for for these statistics this morning, and Um, I forget the name of the the highfalutin scientific name of this center that he sent me, but some of you have heard this stat before. If every nation in the world lived the way the United States does, it would take five planets worth of resources to sustain the world for a year. Five planet worth of resources to sustain the whole world for one year if every nation in the world lived the way that we do in the United States. That is a humbling statistic to me. According to the National Resource Defense Council, about 40% of food produced, processed, and transported in the United States is wasted and ends up in our landfills. 40%. 
Wasted food is a drain on our natural resources, our wallets, and our communities. Did you know that half of the United States land, 80% of our fresh water, and 10% of our energy budget is spent on bringing food to our tables? When we waste 40% of that food, we waste 40% of the earth's national, uh, natural resources in our country. Worse yet, after wasted food ends up in our landfills, it contributes to methane emissions that are 30 times worse than CO2. And we have an opportunity with every meal during the day to reduce and eliminate this massive carbon footprint. So are you starting to see how this can turn deadly, right? How what we consume and the motivation behind it can actually impact us, not only bodily, spiritually, and physically, but it can impact our culture, our nation, our world, just by how we consume what we consume and why. Friends, that's a, that's a lot of power with just picking up that thing on the plate and eating it, right? Or buying that thing online. We have a lot of power as consumers in this country. And this is one of the reasons ministries like our food pantry matter so much. It not only helps to reduce food waste, but it feeds hungry people. We do so much more than just feed hungry people through our food pantry. We are taking food that would be thrown out otherwise before it's expired and get it into the hands of families that need it. That's huge. And this is why our motivation behind what and how we consume really matters. This is why keeping our motivation centered on caring for others really matters too. Because whether we know it or not, what we consume not only has an impact on us, but it has a huge collective impact on our world. Just like we see in the scriptures we just heard with Esau, Israel, and Sodom, it, it is our motivation behind what we consume and why in the right place. Is wisdom or foolishness being shown by our actions in regards to what we consume? I have a few, you know, I thought it was really ironic because I started off with a list of do's and don'ts and I say, do's and don'ts aren't, aren't great. Like we need to go deeper. And then I give you four action steps at the end of my sermon today. <laughs> this is not a list of do's and don'ts. These are encouragements to build some and foster maybe some more intentional motivations uh, in, in our lives as consumers. So the first one is trace your products. One of the biggest things that impacted me during seminary, we had a whole group project and everyone loves group projects, right? We had a group project on what's called conflict minerals. And this was back in 20, 2012. Um, and at that point in time, every device, let's see if I have one, every device like your cell phone, that's a picture of my wife and my son. You see that? Aw, I'm distracted now. Um, <laughs> Every device that we have, whether it's an electronic camera or a, a cell phone, has three major minerals in it, tin, tungsten, and tantalum. And the Congo is one of the richest mineral deposits in our world for tin, tungsten, and tantalum. In 2012-2013, it was fueling one of the deadliest conflicts in the Congo since World War II. 79% of those minerals come from mines in the Congo because of their rich mineral deposits. There was no guard, there was no ethics over how those minerals were procured, and it was literally producing widows and orphans. 
and killing people over those mines. Then they would be hauled off to smelting pots in Asia to then be manufactured for Apple and LG and Samsung and all these electronic devices that we make. And that's just our electronic devices. I love coffee, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. But I got really convicted, too, to understand where my beans are coming from. Is it ethically sourced? Is it fair trade? Are are the farmers who grow it being paid well? Am I willing to pay a little bit more for fair trade coffee? Because it tastes a lot better too. Am I willing to pay a little bit more for that if I know that the companies that are manufacturing this product that I love are treating their employees well and paying the farmers a livable wage? Tracing your products can be an, an incredible story. And pick one thing just one thing that you use on a daily basis and trace it back to its origin. Maybe it's your toothpaste, maybe it's a toothbrush, maybe it's your coffee in the morning, but trace back the element of that thing all the way back to its origin and see if you're fine with all of the practices that bring it to your table, right? Action step number two is reduce waste. We can all be better at this. My wife has taught me so much about reducing waste. I use plastic bags all the time, Ziploc bags, and she is a no plastic girl. Like that was a deal breaker for her, no plastic. So I learned how to use glass Tupperware and I use uh, uh, material bags to do our groceries, right? And we have a compost pile and like we're, we're trying to do what we can to reduce our, our, our waste as a family um, and trying to portion out food to do those things. But it's just those little tiny habits, right? So we have compost here that actually goes back into the land. If you want to start composting and have no place to put it, you can put it here in our garden. Garden, but composting is a great way of doing that. Reducing your use of plastic, um, reducing waste is a great way of doing that. Uh, number three, live with it longer. The biggest thing that I took away from that group project of Conflict Minerals is like, everyone has a cell phone and I kind of have to have a cell phone to do my job, right? But I also don't like, and since 2013, Apple LG and Samsung, those biggest offenders, have put a lot of practices in place to reduce those uh, conflicts and unethical practices. There's still a lot of work to be done, but it has gotten better. But I, as a Christian, I'm like, I can't morally have this thing that's producing conflict, literally widows and orphans. And the Bible says, what is the greatest religion? To love widows and orphans in the book of James. So I couldn't morally, I was, I was stuck So how I arrived at it myself is to live with this device longer. There's all this drive to get the next best cell phone, right? They come out with one every year. We don't need a new cell phone every year, right? We don't, especially when they have the technology to give you the great upgrades that they're promising you next year. Just do it all at once, right? Sorry, that's a gripe. Um, Just do it all at once. But live with that device longer. Live with your clothes longer, right? There's this push to be on the latest edge of things, live with things longer, and we, that alone can have a tremendous impact. All right, last one, promise, generosity. Generosity, those habits of generosity where we're not defined by our possessions or our lack of possessions, but we're defined by this, this generous spirit of hospitality where we're going to implement some new habits of giving in our daily life to where we're not defined by excess, but we are, we are able to meet needs of those who don't have the ability to be generous. We're able to meet needs of those who are really hungry and say, look, I have extra what, how can I be generous with these things? That also reduces waste too. Because rather than just throwing that extra thing away, you can think, who really needs this? 
and maybe meet that need and build a new relationship out of it. My friends, you are not defined by what you consume. Amen? And the sin of gluttony and what makes it so deadly is being defined by what we consume, letting our morals be defined by what we consume. But you are not defined by what you consume. You have the power to define what you consume and why. And may the motivation of Christ Jesus shape who we are as consumers and as Christians in this consumer-driven world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.